0: Sasswut is a podcast about Bigfoot. It's recorded for the skeptics, the believers, the knowers, and those who just have a casual interest in the subject. For more information, visit SASWAT.com. Hey guys, before we start this week's show as a way of introduction uh, as to what is happening in this episode, it's a little unusual in that it was recorded live at a uh, Bigfoot conference somewhere in southern Ohio in a very noisy uh, conference area uh, full of people, so uh, unlike usual where we try our best to really maintain a high quality of sound. This one has a lot of background noise. The sound quality is still decent. But otherwise, um, hopefully you'll be able to just kind of imagine yourself surrounded by people that spend a lot of time in the woods uh, knocking on trees and stuff, uh, because that's what it was. It was a full-on Bigfoot conference. We were there um, all together to kind of hang out at the small-town monster stable, and... uh, to kind of experience the conference in general if you want a more in-depth recap of the conference you can go to mark matski's other podcast which is monster land ohio that he does with his son andy Um, but there's actually two episodes kind of uh pushed together into one in this one The, the first part of this kind of focuses on minerva monster and uh, some other topics And then the back half is an interview With Paul Bartholomew It's more of a discussion between uh, Paul and some of us About Whitehall and the <laughs> Bear Road case yeah. So uh, enjoy And thanks oh, yeah. for listening <laughs> This is Saswa, a podcast about Bigfoot I'm one of your hosts My name is Seth Breedlove Here with my pal, Mark Matsky. Greetings from Burr Oak State Park The first annual Sosby conference. Andy Matsky. Hello. Brandon Dalo. Hello. And we are, yeah, we're at a a Bigfoot conference. One of our favorite things. And if we have to pause recording it's because someone is at our table and I'm desperately trying to sell a Minerva Monster to people. You um, almost had a shirt sale. I almost had a shirt sale, and then he said he was going to go look at other I, shirts. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you know what? Uh, just let me make sure there's nothing better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, wa- get... he walks by with a new shirt on. heart <laughs> <laughs> sorry guys. Sorry guys. <laughs> it says I heart Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're your little Minerva monster. Um, so we're talking today with. Uh, Brandon and Mark and Andy were all together and we thought it would be fun to catch up on random things that have happened and we've been wanting to do an episode about the Minerva monster um, and um, kind of what what the ongoing events in Minerva might be and what some of the stories that we don't know about might be so um I can talk a little bit about this, but to be honest, the best thing about this is the fact that Brandon's actually here. And Brandon spent some time at the Caton's home, so he knows a little bit more. For those that are uninformed as to the Minerva Monster case, it's a case from 1978 that involved a giant kangaroo in um, (laughs) in and around Texarkana. <laughs> Smokey Crabtree was Smokey Crabtree really was our top witness. Yeah. Okay, uh,
1: it's called and him up. Yeah.
0: Hi, how are you? Good. You know about the movie? Okay. It's a documentary about a Bigfoot sighting that happened in 1978. And I directed it, and he did the music. So,
1: These two guys were coming along for the ride.
0: Yep. If you if you need to remember anything, those little sheets of paper down there in front have everything on them, and you can just take one of those if you need it. Everything's available online through the Small Town Monster Store and on Facebook and all that stuff. So what? Yeah. No, actually, it's cheaper. Uh, There. I no. Yes, he does. <laughs> he that? does yeah, the, the t-shirt guy did, I did leave us and buy a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just told that man not to buy one here because it's <laughs> online. I'm a salesman. Anyway, Minerva Monster <laughs> case, <laughs> 1978. Giant, giant kangaroo. Uh, no, the, the Minerva Monster was seen in and around the town of Minerva, a small town of Minerva in northeastern Ohio. We made a movie about it and Brandon Dalo sitting next to me he composed the music and he has been down there recently to learn some things so the first thing I mean we can get into some of the stuff but people are going to want to know what what is the, is their ongoing activity
1: Yes, and that's that's actually one of the main questions we get at when we do Q&As and stuff like that, at screenings and everything like that. One of the biggest, most common questions we get is, is there ongoing activity still to this day? And the answer is definitive yes. Um, they've had activity going on down there, it seems like, since the early 60s, and it's been continuing to
0: the present day.
2: So.
0: It just seems like it just got exponentially louder in here. It did. It, uh, we might have to do this. You might have to wait a little maybe during a speaker we're gonna pause this and we'll come back to it in an hour and a half although for you it will be automatic <laughs> see you, more. we'll see you in the future oh yeah yep all right we're back um, Brandon's in the middle of telling us about recent activity is right. what I think was going on yeah I was
1: just I was talking about um, the fact that we get the most common question that we kind of get in QAs after screenings and stuff like that is usually is there ongoing activity? And the answer is definitely yes. Um, we One of the most recent big events that happened, which given it's been over a decade, but still um, 2003, there was a story that he told us that basically they learned that you shouldn't go into the woods at night. It's okay if you go in during the day and you come out at night, but their role is you don't go in at night because uh, it makes them upset. And so and the way they found that out was, um, They were walking. They went in at night, and something swung from the left side of the trail and grabbed Howie by the shirt, lifted him up in the air, dropped him back down, and swung to the other side um, and and ran off into the woods. Um, So stuff like that—they see footprints all the time still.
0: I love how nonchalant these stories come across, though, because like in the movie when Howie talks about his brother being bit, yeah, it's like. you know, and we were walking around the quarry pond, and we saw a big foe we jumped on his back, and then it bit one of us. Like, he was, and now like he's he, nothing. Yeah, and now you're telling us, like, he's pulled up into a tree while walking through the woods, and, <laughs>
1: and it's like, not, well, that's the thing. It seems like they've had so much activity for so many years that it's almost like these little stories are just one of many. So they don't, you know, they don't seem like they're this big thing, like right. someone else who's only had one instance of seeing them or whatever.
0: Right. Andy, do you have any questions for Brandon, no, and thank you. On Mark, do you have any questions for Brandon or me?
2: Did they talk with you at all anymore about the big
1: cats? The big cats, yeah. That's interesting because actually what happened, we were walking through the woods and I kept mentioning cats and like being around. And I, I was thinking for, I totally forgot about the whole cougar thing in the movie. Um, Promeniculous. I, I just woman. thought they were... <laughs> I just thought they were talking about, like, random stray cats. You know? Like, no, they were talking about big, big cats. And because um, they were talking about how they've never been attacked by one and all this kind of stuff, but they see them all the time. Um, well, Howie pulled out a picture from, on his cell phone of a cougar face that was looking at him, watching him mow his lawn in the back from the woods. He was looking at him through the Y of a tree. And what's cool about the picture is you can, you can tell it wasn't pulled off Google. It's, it's zoomed in. It's low quality on his cell phone. And it's just this big, giant mountain lion face, you know, and you've got dark eyes, and it was really weird because it it lent credibility what they were saying, but it's also weird because of the whole their claim that they they saw big cats next to this creature whenever it was around. And so we always thought we always kind of theorized that maybe it was two little big big feats, yeah, like juvenile. juveniles, juveniles, mm-hmm. and they were they were just misidentifying them because it was in the dark.
0: Well, and we have a guy in the movie. In yeah, Minerva Monster, who says he saw the Minerva Monster with two small ones. Exactly.
1: So it made sense, and it was around the same time that they saw that, too. So. But then how he pulls out a picture of a cougar on their property, which seems to go hand-in-hand hand with what they were saying. So.
0: Yeah. It's bizarre. I don't know what to think of it, because my comeback for the whole cougar thing was like, well, maybe they're just, yeah, like, maybe just seeing, misidentifying juvenile. Bigfoot, which, either way it's a crazy, like, either they're seeing an undiscovered ape walking around the woods with babies, or they're seeing an undiscovered ape walking around with cougars, or they're seeing a bear walking around on two legs flanked by mountain lion, <coughs> and now he's seeing photos of the mountain lion, so, obviously, they're, li- and, and the thing about the mountain lion, or whatever you want to call it, yeah. um, I've been told by other people that live down in Minerva, they don't believe in, like, the monster or whatever, but they have seen mountain lions. And there's one lady that owns, like, an alpaca farm near there, and she tells me she hears mountain lion roars in the, in the woods behind her house and all kinds of stuff. So obviously there's legitimate, something legitimate to the feline aspect of this. Yeah. But now it's like, well, what, if, there, if there's all these reports of Bigfoot down there in the same area as all these mountain lions. What's like going on? Why are these? Why are the Cadence saying they're literally seeing this thing walk out of the woods, flanked by a cougar? Doesn't it seem weird?
1: <laughs> yeah, and if you remember the original story, it was like they saw the two cats first, and then it came out in the headlights to, as if to protect them. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how they described it. Yeah. they were. It came out to protect the cats. Like, hey, okay, don't be. You know, and that's yeah. it's just weird. The relationship
0: there is kind of weird. What color are the cats? That's what I was brown. Like the well, the the photo yeah. he saw was a, a mountain lion. Yeah, like a brown mountain, Cougar mountain But I swear that Howie told us they were black, black cats. And I swear, and am I right? Cause it's in some sighting it's in It's in yes. like Ron Schaffner's report that they were right. black cats. But I don't um, know
1: if they were seen at night. And the
0: other thing about that know? point in time, if I'm not mistaken, there were other reports, or at least one other report from that same era, the 70s, late 70s, of a Bigfoot with... Black cats, right? It's in I swear it's in one of Coleman's books or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think so. And there's uh, there are a handful of those. Yeah. High strangeness uh, type yeah. stuff. Right. What what's the frequency? I mean, just in yeah, general, with the cage. We have everything. How often do they uh fifteen for the black and twenty for the red. So what is the It Okay, go ahead. I'll do it again. So what would you say is the frequency with which the Catons have experience?
1: It seems like all the time. The, the weird thing is, you know, we went we went out back in their woods for a three hour hike that lasted into the night, and it was probably with 12, twelve, thirteen other family members. And each one of them at some point or another has had a sight or some kind of experience. And it was the the interesting thing was that Different family members, you know, as you're walking, you're kind of just intermingling with different parts of the family. And they're telling different the same stories, but from different people, and they don't know that I've already heard it from someone else. Mm -hmm. And they're saying the exact same thing as the other person told me. Um, For example, you know, Seth, when you spoke to uh, Rebecca... We, didn't, we weren't able to get her in the film but she was talking a lot about the, the emotional connection or some kind
0: of connection with... Rebecca is Howie's, Howie's sister. sister. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, she was talking about the connection between this creature and their mother and Howie doesn't know that, as far as I know, he doesn't know that Rebecca told Seth that. So we're just walking, Howie and I are walking and he starts talking about he feels like there's a connection between his mother and this creature. And he, he thought it was because she was Cherokee Indian or whatever or had Indian her. Um, But he started talking, giving us, telling us about that, and I I thought that was really interesting. One of the things he said was that, you know, his mom would go out and give out scraps of food and like leftover food, like potato peels and stuff like that, um, back there. And the day or the week that their mom died, there was howls all through the woods for that whole week. And I thought that was interesting, but because again, Rebecca said the same thing at a totally different time. How he had no idea, yet he has the same story, with the same impressions, which, again, sent teen, tends to lend a little bit of credibility to them. Yeah. Did, was, was there a drop-off in activity after she passed away? It seems like there was, but, I mean, it, they still have a ton of activity. But it seemed like, from what I understand, any that the mom was outside gardening or doing anything, there was always sightings happening.
0: That's how... That's how Howie and Rebecca tell us. It. Like anytime you could bank on, if the mom was outside, what's her name? I can't think of her name. Evelyn? Evelyn. Yeah. If Evelyn was outside, you could bank on the creature being nearby. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, some of this stuff, too, like the abundance of reports that are like ongoing, it just depends on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Hi. Hi. How you doing? Good,
2: how are you? Good. I'm sure if you have this or not. No. It has the Bennington triangle
0: in it Really? And uh Yeah, yeah. I forget what we were talking about What were
1: we talking about? You were
0: talking about uh, I think you we were asking a question Or Someone was asking you a question Something about the frequency Of sightings Wasn't it? Or no that talked- we,
1: we talked about it We already yeah. talked
0: about it This is riveting For people to listen to As we try to remember Where we were do
2: <laughs> uh, Before we, before. Did, we do, did
0: we do Did we talk about the caves yet? No we didn't talk Can we talk about the caves Yeah,
1: yeah. Yes, caves okay. Yeah, let's, let's talk about all that. Um,
0: People always ask us, like, are there caves in the area? I just did a library presentation, like, this past week, and someone wanted to know how many, you know, caves in the area, that kind of thing. Yeah. We always talk about how there was... Do you hear my voice crack there? Yeah. got like a creepypubes boy? <laughs> um, there, there is... Uh, no, there's... there's a, people always want to know about that. We always talk about the fact that supposedly... We have nothing to back this up other than people's stories, but supposedly there was a scuba diver went down into the pond yeah. and found caves yeah. in the quarry pond, and they speculated that maybe these things were living down there.
1: Right. Yeah, um, that was the thing. They've seen caves on the property. They've seen... Uh, on the right side of their lake, there's a sharp ravine that goes up to a sharp incline of another hill on the other side. And they saw, they were walking over there, and they've seen caves on the hillside, and they wanted to go explore them. So they had to go all the way around and up to the top of the hill, and then come down. And when they would come down, the caves would be totally gone. They wouldn't know where they were. Um, they mentioned when they, the scuba diver went down there, they found caves underwater back off this cliff on the other side of the lake, and the scuba diver claimed that he had put markers next to the cave so that when he came back, he could explore them. When they went back, they found the markers, didn't find the cave. So there's this this mysterious kind of
0: disappearing disappearing
1: cave, cave situation.
0: It sounds like it sounds like something out of Indiana Jones, yeah. <laughs> like that. Or the X Files. The X Files. But yet in the same area, they said around the lake, they'll hear um,
1: they'll hear a humming noise in the air, and they can never pinpoint where it's coming from. So they'll try to find it. I um, can never pin. They'll, they'll go one way towards it and it'll be coming from the other direction. And it always seems to happen when there's activity about to start. So there's there's a lot of stuff back in that
0: property There's a lot to the story that isn't in the movie, too. Mm-hmm. And we get... If you come to, like, one of the library presentations... Have you guys been to any of the speaking presentations that we've done? Where it's, like...
2: Whenever Monster
0: Day. Okay, yeah. 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 We always get asked about, like, weird stuff, like ghosts and UFOs, mm-hmm. and I, I, I've i talked about it before, like, James Shannon investigated a UFO landing across the street from the Cadence two weeks after this, but I guess, like, the Cadence see all sorts of weird stuff on that.
1: Yeah, they see, they've seen, like, some def, definite paranormal stuff going on up there. They said that they they claim that there's Indian burial mounds up there on this part of the hill that I didn't get a chance to go to, um, but they said in that area they hear chanting. Um, the Bigfoot. Yeah, they hear like Bigfoot fire. All right? <laughs> they hear chanting. They hear, they've seen um, up in that same area. They've been picking berries and they on a summer day and a woman on a white horse rode up and started making a conversation with them about. The day and the weather and et cetera, et cetera, McDonald's. and then they, they turned around and it, it completely gone. Just so there's like this. There's a bigfoot standing there. <laughs> other
0: paranormal activity. Through the woman on the white the horse. horse. Yeah, <laughs> he was sitting on the horse though. It's really odd. But seriously, I mean,
2: as you're as you're describing this, I mean, this is like opening the door to some who knows what type yeah. of flap. Right, right all but, kinds of.
0: Exactly described. It, it is, it but most it of it... It complicates the matter. It complicates it drastically. That's what we were talking about on the way here, because I have all these theories on, like, the young, the juvenile and the Panthers and all that stuff, and all of it goes out the window. But well, when it comes to some of this paranormal stuff, too... I don't know.
1: Well, here's the thing. Um, you know, you hang out with the family, like I've said before. There's, They just seem to come off as very honest people. Howie's, like, the nicest dude. Um, all of the family members that... From young to old, female, male, it doesn't matter. They've all had experiences inside this, in this particular property. And they all seem, like, again, very down-to-earth, nice, reasonable people. They don't seem crazy. Mm-hmm. They don't seem like they're, as a family, making this thing a hoax. They're trying to fake anything. It just seems like... And they, they talk about it, like you said in the beginning, about nonchalant. That's how they talk about this stuff. It's just... Right. It's just a, it is, is, and there's no questioning it there's no like trying to prove it they have like I said they have like certain rules like you don't go in the woods at night and all these kind of things see
0: I don't get that I went
1: in the woods that night
0: with their kids
1: really yeah after dark was it after dark you went in there yeah
0: well Well after dark we were
1: sitting around the campfire um, before we went up into the woods and, you know Howie was asking some of the women if they wanted to go and they didn't have any interest like they're very afraid of the woods it's a definite mm-hmm. thing and you can see this real fear on their face like that's okay. not huh. but they'll, they'll say stories like um, Howie and his brother I think were up, sitting up on the roof it's the back roof that faces the woods and there's like a lamp in there or a street light in there kind of a thing and the light casts a shadow back towards the woods and they were sitting there just talking you know at night on the roof and they could see their shadows on the lawn and then they see a third shadow come in between them. And then, and then look back and there's nothing there. So they have all this kind of interesting activity. He showed me where the bedding site was, where they found the bedding, back there in the that ravine. That was kind of interesting to see. Um, but the weird thing, though, I don't even know if I've told it, you Seth through this or anything. They've got a lot of interesting um, configurations of like tree bends and weird stuff going on the property as well. And I don't know if I put any kind of stock into that Bigfoot behavior, but there's tons of archways, trees built, bended in arches all over the place. Howie's theory is like it's it's marking territory kind of a thing.
0: But there's trees broken at really odd. Well, you um, were way further. I was going to say we didn't see any of that when we were there, but you were way further back, too. Yeah, I mean, we went, we went maybe a quarter mile, half a mile back up We the were hill.
1: There's like, we got three hills, basically, yeah. and up like three-tier kind of thing. But there was, like I said, archways of, of trees. You had um, trees that were broken, they're, and they're like maybe 9, 10 foot up broken. But they didn't look like they naturally just fell over. They looked like they were purposely broken and pushed over. It was just very odd stuff. Um, later in the evening, it got super pitch black. And um, some of the guys said that they saw some eye shine. So they went and investigated it. We all kind of went over there and right in this little area it kind of looked like a little bedding area and there was like an old corn macabre that had been eaten like a raw one obviously and then there was like water apples that you can only find by the creek in the same area it looked really kind of interesting um, but so it was just three hours of just constant stories and again if you were gonna make something like this up it's just crazy the amount of detail that goes into it the amount of and they never like you never catch them telling a lie or telling something differently because I didn't that it's,
0: it's very... When you're talking to them, it is like they're talking about their trip to the grocery store. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: It's like very nonchalant and just like it's true, it's honest, this, is, this happens.
2: Um, so I did want to ask you, do they overall seem bothered by the fact that this has happened to them? Are they afraid? I mean, you, you said they're cautious to a certain degree. Yeah, they're
1: definitely cautious. Howie's um, thing is, you know, he... He he said repeatedly, like it's not violent, but and every time that it's been aggressive in any way, it is always giving them some kind of warning, whether that's like a vocalization or some or some kind of other warning. Um, but again, the only the only two times was when they jumped it, and they were younger, which of course it's going to fight back a little bit. And then the other time when they went in that night, they should, and it picked him up by the shirt. Shirt was ripped. He didn't get any kind of like he wasn't scratched or anything. Shirt was ripped, and and it just, it just ran off. But they told stories of when it, when they were younger, when in like in the early 70s, the trees in the backyard weren't as built, you know, as grown. And they you can see it swinging from tree to tree back just right behind the house. What?
0: Yeah, they'd see the so they'd see the monster swinging. Yeah, from tree they see to tree. it
1: swinging from tree to tree in the backyard,
0: like in the woods. And these are all stories of I've never heard this. So it was like stories like that all day long mm-hmm. yeah. just you're constantly I mean when he's saying that yeah. is anyone else backing him up on that everyone's it's just all identical there's no
1: there's no buddy chuckling no weirdness I mean it's just all very like they all believe that this is happening and, that they all, and that's the thing like it's hard not to believe them in certain ways in other ways it's like when you, when you start introducing the paranormal aspect of it with uh, the know chanting and oh he, oh I didn't even tell you he said that he was up in that same area as the Indian burial mounds and the chanting and all this and I saw a woman on the white horse they, he's how he's heard someone whisper get out of my woods. Um, oh, that's just the Bigfoot. Bigfoot. Like, everybody knows that. <laughs> so you know you've got like a ton of paranormal stuff like
0: that. So when you introduce that, then you're like, well, okay, what's going on here? It's just it's just weird. Whenever I see a Bigfoot, it's always accompanied by beat it. Get out! Get out of here! Get out of here! No one wants to be food. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jackson. Yeah, that, that starts dancing with Michael Jackson's ghost. Yeah. Happens every time I do it. So, so, is does he connect these things? Well, like I mean, because you probably know more than I do now. Because when I talk to him, he does not seem to believe that Bigfoot is some sort of like alien or ghost or whatever. Mm-hmm. Does he, to you, does he, does it seem like he's connecting the phenomenon?
1: He didn't. Well, he's. I think he's connecting the phenomenon, but he's not. I still don't necessarily know if he thinks it's like some kind of spiritual thing, or okay. creature. But um, you know, like when they were when they were mentioning the humming noises and all that kind of stuff, they actually were talking about UFOs being related to this. Like one of his cousins or nephews. I wasn't involved in the conversation, but they were saying, you know, if you. If there's any kind of beautiful connection, here might be some evidence towards that, is how they kind of put it. You know, we hear this humming noise and we can never figure out where it's coming from. We see the, the woods one night was ex- was lit up as bright as the sun and one night, and there no explanation of where that light was coming from. You know, these kind of things. So he didn't necessarily like tie them together and say, oh, they're you know, coming through a portal or something, but they, you know, he's saying if there is some kind of connection, here might be some. Evidence towards those kind of things. Huh. It seems like
0: weird. Yeah, it's a very weird flap. Every time I hear more about it, it confuses me more. Right. It's like a great. I mean, it's it's like a microcosm of the whole Bigfoot field. Mm-hmm. To me, I mean, this <laughs> one, one case. Oh sure. Yeah. Because it's so. He, you know, he's so bizarre. I'm, I'm thinking of other
1: stories now. He was telling us about. You know, they don't. I don't know if I should talk about this. They don't really have a good uh, opinion of you know finding Bigfoot and yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. But they decided one day, just for just for giggles, I guess, to m- do one of the Matt Moneymaker howls, yeah. you know, just to see what would happen in the woods. And he said that how he went out there and did that. It erupted and howls back,
0: um, which is kind of interesting. Wow. I would want to hear him do it then. Like I. I would almost want to go down there and be like, "Okay, I want you to howl again." Because if that's you want to hear, it show happen. me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, show me. Because at some point, this all does, this all becomes stories. This is all folk tales, and that's fine. And I'm not, I'm not discounting what they said, obviously. But I'm saying, like, for me personally, I want to see some of this stuff. Because some of these claims are getting let me tell you about super the super um, alley. Let me
1: tell you about the pictures, real um, quick. He showed us three pictures. We're testing other. Major question that we get at yes. Q and and stuff like that. It's Why don't they have pictures? Yeah, and he showed. He actually pulled out three pictures, which I was really surprised by. Um, the first one was taking. They were driving an RV around there, and they were taking shots of the scenery. And in the background, um, you, you, they noticed in one of the pictures that this thing was running. It looks like it's like a running covered super dark looking thing but of course it's just a, it's just a blob you know it's it's a, a blurry looking humanoid type figure but there's no detail you, you could that could easily be something natural but it does look like something they showed us another picture it's it looks like it's kind of blended in like it's hiding behind a tree it's very tall very big you can kind of see hair on the arms but it's so it's the exact same color as the tree so you really can't see much detail the only one that really stood out to me was the third one, which was, again, kind of blended in with the tree, but again, you could see the hair on the arms, and the arms were huge, um, but the the hair on the arms and stuff was kind of a grayish-brown, and then, but the top of the head was blonde. It was like yellow hair that came down like this, like long hair on the shoulder. So that was interesting, because if it was just the tree, you wouldn't have this weird differentiation in color, mm-hmm. so that was always interesting about that. Um, about how far away is the figure in that picture? Very close. Uh, it's. I mean, I don't know if you zoomed in or not, but I mean, it looks a good ten feet away. Wow. It's very close, you know, kind of like behind a tree type of thing. Wow. And it's blended in very well, so you really can't tell exactly what it is, but again, it looks very big. And you, you see that differentiation in the color of the hair and stuff, which is just interesting. Is that a feature of any report that you know of?
2: Different hair color? Yeah, I've, especially never, one like that. I've
0: never heard that. That around. would seem to be pretty
2: distinctive. Yeah, and one that you—if you saw that—it's just a really hairy
0: out. woman. <laughs> she had hair all over her arms. So it's no big deal.
2: Yeah,
1: I'll—you I'll, know—I'll say that. Catons are super hospitable. They fed us. We had that amazing fire. Super nice people. Just very polite. Inviting us back out again, you know. Now that they've seen the film, I think they trust us a lot more. Yeah, and uh, it's it's really fun to go down and just explore the property. I mean, maybe it's just because I've heard all the stories now, but that the property is a very kind of mystical feeling place. It feels very
0: interesting. Well, it's the same thing with A Bear. Yeah, exactly. It's it's weird. Yeah, you go to A Bear and it's like this. You're in this place where history, where this history happened. I don't know if that's all that's going on there or what. Because when I was there, it was... The first time when I was there back in July, I had... It was eerily quiet when we were there. And then I had that... I don't know if we talked about it on Saswa, no, but I, I thought I saw... I thought I saw something walk... Run across this hill line behind Allen at about 11 o'clock at night. But it could have been anything. It yeah. could have been a deer. Mm-hmm. But when we were just there, we were out at bear after dark. It was super loud. I mean, every cricket in the world was going off. You could see, the sky was so unbelievably clear. You could see the Milky Way. I mean, it was beautiful. We've had that when we go to Canada. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. But it was, I don't know. I'm not, I wasn't creeped out when I was there. Brandon was super creeped out. The first time I went, the first time I went down there, I was super creeped out. This time I was fine. I walked, I actually left them walked up into the field by myself and then just kind of sat there for a minute with the recorder going off because I was trying to get, you know, some nighttime sounds. Yeah. But there is something, like, about being in that place. Of course, we just spent the last two days hearing Bigfoot stories about a railroad, you know. Somewhere. Aggressive Bigfoot stories. Yeah. 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 And now we're there. So I don't know. Definitely.
2: What's the most recent report
0: from that area that you know of? Did they have anything? Well, from, from Whitehall area? Yeah. I don't know. I tried to turn up Whitehall, local, you know, local direct to Whitehall stories. And I don't know what the difference is between Ohio and New York, but people in New York are super leery of going on the record and talking about their sightings. And it's it's all because of ridicule. So we had, in the movie, we have Dave and Pam or Dave and Sue, I can't remember. Dave and Pam. Dave and Pam. Talk about their sightings and, and what's going on on their property. But they live about 50 miles from Whitehall. I mean, it's still the Adirondacks, but they're there's still a little ways from there. Um, they've got a ton going on on their property from the sound of it. That's the guy that sent us the email way back for Sasquatch, who had the handprint on his car. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that's the guy we okay. interviewed when we were there. I thought that was kind of a cool Sasquatch yeah. connection. And he's the guy that put me in touch with Bill Brand. So Saswat comes through again. I'm gonna shut this down for now. Okay, so that was the first half of the show. The second half of the show is an interview uh between myself and Mark Matske and Brandon Dalo and Shannon Legros and Andy Matske with Paul Bartholomew, Paul. Features heavily in our next movie, the Small Town Monsters movie, uh, Beast of Whitehall. So just as way of introduction, even though I'm like 70% sure I say all this in two seconds when this starts, um, I just wanted there to be a natural kind of segue between the two. So enjoy. This is Saswet, a podcast about Bigfoot. I am one of your hosts. My name is Seth Relove. Joined tonight by my pal, Mark Matzke. Greetings from Burr Oak State Park. My pal, Brandon Dalo. Hello. My pal, Shannon LeGro. Hello. My pal, Paul Bartholomew. Hello. And we are talking about Bigfoot. And specifically tonight, I wanted to take a chance to talk about the next Small Town Monsters movie. And we planned on doing this in like our usual... Very fancy setting um, in the studio, in Sasquatch Studio, in Sasquatch Towers, uh, right downtown. Um, but instead, we are talking about it at the baroque. So if you're hearing a lot of background noise, that is what is happening. We are in a crowded room. This is totally live, but yeah, every way. Every way. But we talked earlier about how tonight's episode is about the Whitehall movie Beast of Whitehall Small Town Monsters um we just got back last week from filming with Paul and I'm gonna go ahead and shut this off (laughs) this is driving me crazy um we just got back from Whitehall last week where we shot Beast of Whitehall which was uh mostly a day and a half of getting interviews and we had already done plenty of B-roll so we had all that stuff but um we interviewed Paul. We interviewed uh, Brian uh, Gosselin, and Bill Brand and Mayor. The mayor. The mayor Ken Bartholomew. He's yep. Quite a character, by the way. <laughs> yes. And um, let me think. Who else do we get in there? Dave and Pam. Dave and Pam. So quite a whirlwind weekend of filming. Yeah, so um, the next movie is about the A Bear Incident, and I want to I want to have you run us through the A Bear Incident, but. I want you to be a little, you know, just brief on what sure. what the A.B.A.R. incident was.
2: I think the significance of the A-Bare Road incident, which was in August of 76, was that there was police involvement with uh, Bigfoot reports on A.B.A.R. Road in rural Whitehall, New York. And uh, basically, you had teenagers who cited something out on A.B.A.R. Road and reported it to the authorities, and you had the... Whitehall Police, the New York State Police, and the Washington County Deputy Sheriffs all respond to the scene. And over a week-long period, because the Bear Road incident wasn't just sightings of Bigfoot, but we had a, a paranormal outbreak of sightings that lasted a week, ranging from UFO reports to uh, Bigfoot sightings that were very credible to uh, stakeouts where people were actually trying to find the creature and, and so forth. Uh, we had a big bird report or a thunderbird report. Uh, so we
0: had this paranormal outbreak in August of 76 in Whitehall. And the movie, very much like Minerva Monster, which was our first small-town monsters experiment, um, will focus on kind of the eyewitness interviews. Now, with the Whitehall case, we are in a weird situation where there were a ton of anonymous participants or people who these days, we, we don't know names, I guess is how it works. Right. Uh, uh, but then we also had the problem of some of the sighting witnesses involved, not just in the a incident, but Whitehall, Bigfoot in yeah. general, are dead, yeah, yes. and gone. So we are dealing with a situation where we are kind of racing the clock to get everything down. Um, what do you think of the importance of like, trying to tell a story or get this story out there? or Not that it hasn't been out there, because it has, but like, making sure we have the most complete version of the story possible.
2: Absolutely. Uh, the idea behind these shows, documentaries like what you do, shows that are on various networks is that they interview witnesses and who knows when that witness won't be around any longer and I think it's extremely important the work that you're doing and uh, especially with a case that's 40 years old. Uh, this is pretty important stuff to, to document these sightings and these people get their last chance to tell their stories. I didn't know when Cliff Sparks was interviewed, who had a sighting a year before Bear that when he did the interview with Adirondack Journey, that would be his last recorded interview. So it's, I think it's very special and very important that these interviews are conducted. Very important. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's like this. I think we might have talked about it with you a little bit while we were there, but it is just history. People get so wrapped up in the phenomenon or whatever is behind it Or they just get wrapped up, especially skeptics, get wrapped up in this idea that, well, this might not have happened, why would we bother to catalog this or document it in any way if it didn't actually happen? But it comes down to the fact that it is part of the history of Whitehall, and it's obviously a very big piece of the puzzle of the history of Whitehall.
2: And it's a part of the history of Whitehall that some of the witnesses wish hadn't happened to them. It's been a negative for many of these people for many years. It's taken a long time for Whitehall to come from the 1970s to present day and turn it all the way around from a negative to a positive, where the community embraces the phenomenon. And I think that's important. I think work like what you do, work like these syndicated shows do, helps that along. And so I think that's a positive, and and it's important for witnesses who felt like, boy, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me, can now come forward and tell their story. Dan Gordon couldn't tell his story for 22 years, and he's a a Whitehall patrolman. And the reason is that he didn't want to be known as the Bigfoot cop, you know. Uh, So I understand that. And, you know, thank goodness he was able to tell his story pretty thoroughly. And hopefully your work will document that Abe Air case.
0: Dan's story is cool, too, because his son, I, I got to speak to his son before we came to Whitehall, and his Excellent. son was telling me about how uh, Dan didn't, wasn't comfortable telling that story until he was on his, what he thought was his deathbed. This Dan, is what his son was telling me.
2: Dan told me that. Dan yeah.
0: said that, uh, well, I'll tell you exactly what happened. Okay.
2: Uh, Doug hijacked came to town to shoot Mysterious Encounters, the Creature of Whitehall episode. And Dan was invited to come up and talk to him. And he did, but he said, don't use my name. But he went on camera with using his image. So that was the first time he appeared on camera talking about it, but there was no name connected. Then Doug comes back and shoots uh, Giganto, Search for King Kong, the real King Kong. And so... Uh, Dan was featured in that and he came forward with his name and finally it was kind of out you know after 22 years he came forward with it. And yeah, he was in. he had had, had heart problems. So uh, I think it was important for him to tell this story and get it off his chest and he probably felt better about it knowing that other people were involved as well because the next step was we contact Doug again and uh, Dan wants to take a polygraph. So they got an episode Dan offers to take a polygraph passes with flying colors. So, I think it was almost a therapeutic thing for him to actually get this thing that he had to keep secret for all these years out. Now, he brought me to the site along with the other police officer uh, back in, you know, years ago, but I had to be sworn to secrecy about both of them, and I could only identify him as being anonymous law enforcement official. So, Uh, that's how, you know, that would build on you after a while, wear on you after a while that you have to stay; you can't really speak your mind. And then I think there was sort of a freeing effect where Dan did other shows as
0: well and did uh, the Finding Bigfoot episode as well. We talked a little bit earlier, just you and I, about the, something that I perceive to be a difference, a big difference between like Ohio and New York. And it's, I'm sure it's, beyond just Ohio and New York. But I'm looking at Ohio, and you're looking at New York, and I'm looking at the difference between the two as far as witnesses who don't want to come forward in New York because the fear of ridicule is so great. And, of course, we're familiar with this because of the Minerva Monster case, where in Ohio it was the same thing. But that was back in the 70s, and today they're having parades and, you know, holding festivals downtown. Whereas when I'm in New York, it is that same reaction from witnesses today like they don't want to talk to me about it because of you're the ridicule. do you feel like that is something I'm actually right about or do you think you're that, dead on okay uh, the DEC recently released a statement that there
2: is no evidence of Bigfoot worldwide and there's nothing to it because uh, Peter Weimer had sent a letter asking can't we protect this creature or whatever so they had a harsh response which actually drew more response and more attention to it and they actually had me comment on it uh, and and the, the thing is, we have members of the DEC that have had sightings, but they can't talk about it because they're worried about their jobs, their pension, and there's definitely a backlash against uh, a, somebody that would report that who's in, in an official capacity. If I'm a police officer like Dan, uh, I'm not going to report it because it's going to have a negative effect. Now, this may have a career effect as well on people in the DEC, uh, every one of the DEC people that have come forward to me said, don't use my name, don't even use my title, because they don't want to be identified. They're very serious about it. But they've also had a life-changing experience.
0: Okay. Yeah, this it's, it is very noticeable. Like, when you're there, for the most part, almost every witness I've spoken to, or I had co- people call me while we were there filming, they were like I do not want to talk about this on camera because of that, like the fear of ridicule is pretty great there. So do you think though, so you, you're saying you do believe that there is, that's founded like there's there would be a pretty dramatic
2: With an official capacity uh, official, yes. but like and what about I offered, on
0: a personal level?
2: Uh, I offered to give us a uh, talk to the uh, DEC, which they wanted no part of I mean, they are just washing their hands of it. And uh, it's kind of a funny reaction because if you talk to police officers off the record, story after story. Uh, D.C. people off the record, story after story. So there's definitely this uh, uh, stigma attached
0: to having a sighting. Mm-hmm. No question about it. Now, there's there's a ton of law enforcement officials that were not a literal ton, but like a lot of... Maybe a literal time. Some of these guys might have been big. Um, there's a lot of law enforcement officials that are connected with the Whitehall story, obviously, because it's Dan Gordon's story. And we've mentioned Dan, but Dan's story is basically some of Dan's story for us. Okay. Uh, Dan was a whiteout patrolman. He on duty with his
2: partner. And what they would do is patrol out by South Bay. And so they went out to the South Bay region of town at about 4.30 in the morning. This is in February of 1982. And as they're going out, creature crosses the road in front of them. Typical sighting, uh, three steps across the road. Dan pulls the car over, exits the vehicle with his weapon drawn, and tries to follow it, but it's long gone. And it's rocky, uh, rocky, rough terrain, so it didn't, uh, didn't matter. Uh, Dan gets back to the police car. His partner had swallowed his tobacco that he was chewing and uh, decided... He was quite comfortable to rein in the car, which seems like a very sensible thing. Uh, there's no question in my mind about Dan Gordon's uh, experience. Uh, if there were a handful of people I would bet my life on, he's one of them. So he takes a polygraph and passes that as well. So. Dan had a life-altering experience that he couldn't talk about for you know, so many years, and it was nice that he got it out before he passed on. And that he told me that. He said, I'm in bad health. I want people to know. That was back in 2003 when Doug Hijack came
0: into town. His, yeah, I, I, I was going to say a little bit more about what some of the stuff his son told me to should it, probably shouldn't because I don't think he want to go on the record. <laughs> so, um, there was also Glenn LaRose who was involved in that story. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn found the track. Is that what it was Glenn found the track by the? Yeah, that's uh, uh, Bill
2: Brand's research. Yeah, that's... and uh, yeah, there was a cast that was made, and uh, it was published. Uh, so it's a, no question about it. Mm-hmm. And but uh, it became sort of a bone of contention, mm-hmm. and it becomes a taboo subject. And all of a sudden, there's nothing good coming from it, and it's a negative. The heck with it. Put all that stuff away. And unfortunately, that is a reaction that happens sometimes.
0: And I understand that to a certain degree as well. Mm -hmm. Um, When we get into the Whitehall story, there's this, um, Brian kept talking to us about kind of a a concerted effort by the police department to hush this up. Do do you think there's anything to that, or how do you think that plays out?
2: There's no way I would know personally what was told, you know, don't talk about whatever. But I do know there is sort of that stigma attached back then. But I have held the log book in my hands, and I saw where there was an entry for the end of the Bear Road incident in which there was a shooting that took place where a gentleman from Granville said he fired a shotgun and 22 caliber uh, rifle at a huge creature that came at him on Sea Falls Road, which is Carver's Falls Road, notified New York State Police.
0: So, in YSP. And Carver's Falls Road, for those that don't know, kind of runs, not perpendicular, but it kind of runs a, back behind, I mean, yeah. the, the general
2: Bear area. It's an offshoot of Bear Road. Right. So, it's right in the same vicinity. So, whatever this creature was, whatever this phenomenon was that was happening, it stayed in that location for at least a week, from the 24th of August to when it kind of
0: ended on that... that uh, Shooting accident. And something about this case, and you might be able to speak to this, but something about this case that I've uh, that I've noticed is that okay, so Brian or someone was telling us that these kids had already heard that if you wanted to see a monster, you go to A Bear Road. That prior was, to the sighting. Prior to the sighting. I'd never heard of that. That's that's what what I was told. So, to me, it almost seems like this is an area where this has been going on, obviously. I mean, you're, you were talking about Clifford's Park sighting at the yeah. Skeen Valley. I mean, that did not come forward.
2: Cliff didn't right. come forward until after the Abier Road mm-hmm. incident, and the only reason we got that is because we're friends with Cliff. Uh, Cliff didn't even tell his wife for a year, because he was afraid she wouldn't want to you know, go out in the, the carts with him and stuff to do the greens. And so... I wasn't aware of a knowledge of the creature before that, but if you do go back and you research it, sure, there's uh, accounts from the Algonquin and the Iroquois right up to modern day. Uh, Harry Dykel, uh, uh, which was actually supposed to be Harry Kelly, uh, mentioned in a report, had said something about having a sighting back in the 50s. And Harry Dykel then? Harry Harry Kelly. Um, Harry Dykel was the, the other farmer that found tracks in a
0: field around that. He owns same property area. right there. Yes. I mean, that is that is Bear yep. Road. That is the field, Perry yep. Yeah, we've been in his field and all around there, and B rolls shot there and everything. So yes, so yeah. He a, found uh, tracks in a cornfield. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And so, that, to me, it seems like this is a, something... I mean, the Skeen Valley Country Club, too, is only what? How, how many miles... Like, geographically, if you were to walk there from Avery road, it's not that far. It can't no, be that no, far. No, it's, it's almost
2: like a perfect line. Yeah. And then you can continue up
0: into, you know, Rockland area, Chittenden area. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like in a path. And people gotta, have to understand, you talked about in your presentation today, the sheer size of, like, the Adirondack yeah. Park in that whole region. It's, like, so big that you can fit... Like five of the major national parks? That was parks. a great commercial that New York yeah. State did.
2: They said, come visit the Adirondacks. And then they put, like, Yellowstone and all these other parks, and they put it on a map mm-hmm. inside of it. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, yeah. you've got it right here. And Yeah, and we had a modern example of this with the recent prison break. Those convicts were out for 21 days, mm-hmm. three weeks. And they were captured after we used hunting dogs, tracking dogs, uh, uh, scores of people. Trained trackers as well as untrained trackers, Mm -hmm. Um, tip lines, all sorts of incentives. There's, uh, you know, uh, rewards being offered and so forth. They're putting up posters literally everywhere on these, uh, on the parks and things. Um, What really did these guys in is one guy was caught by a single patrol officer near the Canadian border, Mm -hmm. and the other guy got really sloppy and started firing guns at campers. And you know, so that (laughs) was having a good time. Yeah. Apparently, they, they had, had a head of falling out. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The campers? Or? Uh, the prisoners. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs>
2: uh, uh, but, but my point is that these guys were able to remain in the Adirondacks and uh, be untouched, un- unseen, unreported on. For three, well, we used the technology with helicopters and thermal searches. And so when you talk about people saying, well, if there was a creature out there, or a group of creatures, we'd be able to find them.
0: It's not that easy. Something else about Whitehall that's awesome is, and I guess I didn't realize this the first time or something it slipped past me. Like Lake Champlain is right there. To me, I mean Champ. It's I kept calling it the nexus of cryptozoology. <laughs> like yeah. Champ's right there. Um, the Lake the Champlain Canal runs right through the middle of the town of Whitehall, and then you've got massive, uh, endless forest around it. Brandon, you're sitting here, and you yeah. were with me out at A. Bear Road on the, our last night there, and this was my like fifth time out at that road, but there, you have to agree there's something really special, possibly terrifying, about <laughs> being there after hearing all these stories and yeah. being, being a part of it. Especially
1: after two or three straight days of mm-hmm. just hearing all the stories from the people themselves... Or people that were kind of indirectly involved and you see that, like especially someone like Brian Gosselin you see the emotion on his face when he gets into the story and you know you go to the you go to the area at night and Seth was standing 10 feet away and you can't even see him at, at all <laughs> yeah. it's so pitch black there's no street lights it's kind of in the middle of nowhere you know and the stars are incredible at the sky because there's no
0: light pollution yeah. you can see part of the Milky Way and everything it's just extremely spooky out there I was uncomfortable in, yeah, and there. I was uncomfortable the first time we went, but this time I had this weird like I was just very, at, I feel very at home there. As weird <laughs> as weird as that sounds, and I think a part of it is like you explore some of this history and you start to place yourself in it. But I, I used to go
2: out there quite frequently, really? and uh, I would park down by the bridge, that little bridge mm-hmm. that we went yeah. over, and uh, listen for vocals and things like that. Some days I would park the car and walk in the woods at night, which oh. I wouldn't do now. <laughs> simply because of raccoons and skunks and things like that, Bears, which I'm, I'm, I'm actually right more there. more afraid of that than I would be of uh, spying a creature. Right. But uh, obviously the uh, the idea is that there's uh, there's there is a feel out there. It's got that rural community
0: uh, strange feel to it at night. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um. Bra- uh, Brian. Mark, do you have any questions you to ask? Sure. To you?
2: In, the, in the reports that have been submitted, is there a physical uniformity to the creature? And does it seem to be the same one or related creatures? Or there's a, is there a we've, divergence? of? We found there? different sizes of footprints. But one thing I noted in uh, three decades of, of uh, footprints is we stacked them up, and they were almost identical. In one sequence that we shot there. Yeah, I have that on video, yeah. And that's from Rutland and Whitehall and stuff. So uh, maybe there is a, I think there's probably an active migration of some sort going in. Uh, You know, going through Whitehall at certain times of the year. Seems to be August, September, October, hot months. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Not physically hot, but those are the the (laughs) times that we have the flaps. Although they were hot this year. A little warm. I was going to um, say about the appearance.
1: Um, that image you showed of Dan Gordon's sighting, the one yes. crossing the street, did you see that? Her. It was creepy, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about. a link. Yeah, it's it's very skinny. Oh, yeah. Um, skinny. It didn't look like a typical...
2: One of the interesting things is that was in February mm-hmm. uh, of 82. Uh, and so the creature was much thinner. Okay. And then in the fall, we have these other sightings. And even in May, June, you know, when Cliff Sparks, and he describes a much bulkier creature, I don't know if they balk up for the winter or mm-hmm. if it was a rough winter that year. Yeah. I, I'm not even sure about that. But, yeah, uh, uh, Maybe yeah we, we had, have, the,
0: had the McDonald's closed. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: we we, we like didn't that. have a McDonald's back then. Oh, okay. <laughs> we
0: we had, don't now either.
2: We had to go to Glenn's Falls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like eating out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can skip to Fairhaven now, so yeah, it's, it's five, five miles five miles. Away. Yeah. yeah. But no, we do have physical characteristics that crop up time and time again. red glowing eyes. Unusual characteristic, but it's there. Um, the sizes relatively vary from, you know, anywhere from you know, five or six feet up to seven, eight feet. Uh, we have tracks that are 14 inches and some that are 19 inches, and we have some in between. So there would appear to be multiple creatures. It's not just the Whitehall creature, but there's multiple creatures that have been sighted. And there is a rare report of uh, two together in the Whitehall region. Uh, I forget what the date was, but it was a young one and a larger one. So uh, for that reason, I would think that we have this migration pattern where these creatures go through and they feel pretty comfortable around August, September, October, uh, to migrate through certain trails and certain uh, pathways that they feel comfort in.
0: We should probably wrap up. Okay. All right, uh, we'll do more. We'll talk more about Whitehall. That was the least professional I've ever ended the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening. Everyone say goodbye.
2: Bye. Uh, bye So long.
0: Join the conversation at facebook.com slash Find us on Twitter by using the hashtag #saswat or you can find me on Twitter at Seth Breedslove. Mark Matsky is on Twitter at Reverend Matsky. Send your letters to sasswattmail at gmail.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes.